This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everybody. My name is Chris. Und ich bin Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 314, recorded on Monday, March the 20th. 2017. Are you going to do the whole show in that language? Nine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Uh, my, my son started speaking German today. Uh, we were changing him on, the cha on his changing table, and uh, he said, ah, nine. <laughs> and I assumed that since he's too young to count to 10 or nine, I just assumed that he learned how to speak German th this afternoon. Yeah, he's probably not counting to nine yet, so yeah. German is the other obvious uh Option. Exactly. So in honor of that, I figured I'd, uh, I'd just do the, uh, the intro in German. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, if you can just drop in a little German here and there or other languages for that matter, feel free. Scheiße. <laughs> I know how to swear in German. <laughs> <laughs> you know how to say, uh, my name is Jason and shit. <laughs> well, I just looked up while the music was playing. I looked up on Google Translate how to say it, and I'm Jason. <laughs> Good. It's it's last minute, uh, Jason. He, every, doing everything last minute. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> doing it's it's uh, you know do what needs to be done. It's, it's just in time. Just in time operation. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's our it's our pie episode. Oh my 314, god. Three fourteen three one four. It's our pie episode. Wow. Why aren't we eating pie while we record this? I don't know. Well, I had pie last night. Is that close enough? Because eating pie on a microphone while doing a podcast is probably <laughs> disgusting. Riveting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but pie makes me think of the delicious steak and ale pies I had in mm. the UK, which I, I mentioned because a listener whose name I don't have in front of me right now sent a recipe for a steak and Guinness pie. And I'm very much looking forward to trying that out. Well, you got to forward that to me. Well, I will, for sure. Do so. That sounds wonderful. It's it, it's so good. Um, we've already made one, actually, since I got back. And by we, I mean my wife. She made one for us for dinner one night, and it was great, but always looking for a new recipe. So uh, we'll try the one that this listener sent in, and and I'll maybe get back to you on how it is. <laughs> well, yeah, just send it to me, and I'll make it myself, and I'll get back to me on how it is. Very good. That makes the most sense. All right. Well, Jason, I shaved my beard off, so my face is cold and weird and white. It's very, very lack of sun uh, on it, which is kind of freaking me out a little bit. Very strange. Very strange. I looked in the mirror with the beard and was like, I've had this beard so long, I've got to make a change. And then I shaved it off and I looked in the mirror and said, who the hell is that guy? <laughs> I really felt odd about it. So I'm still getting used to it. But as I said earlier, the nice thing is, uh, I mean, before we were recording, the nice thing about beards are you just leave them alone, they come back. So Yeah, you don't have to do anything. You just leave it. Just let it go. It'll come back on its own. It'll be back. All right. Uh, thank you for indulging that, everybody. We are, of course, here to actually talk about Season 7, Episode 14 of The Walking Dead. Only two more to go after this, but, mm. you know, we'll get into that later. We're still here to talk about Number 14. We can't uh, ignore this one. And uh, let's jump right in. Here is what it was called. Hey, honey. The Bachelorette's just about to start. Hell no. Walking Dead's on the other side. Rick, I am your father. Join me on the other side. Wait, that's not right. Thank you so much to Lee in glorious Devon, England, 
and Gregory on the internet for those title reads. Yeah, join me and we will end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. <laughs> on the other side. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there you go. The episode, the episode is called The Other Side. And uh, if you'd like to have a hear yourself on the podcast reading the title of a future episode, you've got only two more to go in season seven. So record those titles and get them into us. I'll remind you what the title is of the next one when we do our feedback show later this week. But uh, cool. for now keep that in mind all right so jason we start well last week we had the shortest cold open in the history of the show Uh and this one for this episode i'm not going to say is the longest but it was significantly longer at i think almost six minutes very long so we go from 40 seconds last week to six minutes this week uh not that they have anything to do with each other but i noticed it anyways we start this cold open and the whole thing i think is almost entirely dialogue-free, if not entirely dialogue-free. And what we're seeing is just shots of stuff going on at the hilltop, people doing things. Uh, In general, we sort of get people training, knife training. We get them making weapons, um, going about their life, kind of preparing for this apparent battle with the saviors we, we have coming up. Uh, and specifically, we see Sasha doing things like sharpening her knives. She's training people on how to use the knives. Um, with Jesus's help, she's drawing diagrams of the Savior's compound, you know, planning, getting ready for this battle, whatever it's going to be. And we also see Sasha tending to the graves of Glenn and Abraham amongst all this as well. Uh, intercut with all that, we have Maggie and Enid doing things. Now, Enid really seems to be kind of Maggie's right-hand woman at this point. She's helping her out. She's always there. She's getting her food. Uh, she's doing an ultrasound with Maggie, who feels like she's been in the first trimester of this pregnancy for years. (laughs) It's been quite some time, and uh, she's only barely showing if any at all. And uh, I'm surprised they have an ultrasound machine. That's fantastic. Well, it's not the first time we've seen it. Uh, I know, but I'm still, I was still surprised. Yeah. No, I shouldn't have been. Yeah, it's it's handy to have, and I guess it's they just sort of are lucky that they have that medical equipment there. But she's getting an ultrasound. Yeah, like you said, she's not showing at all. And I guess in showtime, it hasn't been that long, but in real world time, it feels like she's been pregnant for ages. Right. Um. So she's doing her ultrasound. Baby seems healthy. Maggie looks like she's writing a lot of lists and just planning things there's one shot of a list that she's writing and it has things on it like scrap metal batteries new generator emergency exit horses with two question marks and weapons training looks to be the last thing she's writing so it's all kind of just leadery type stuff you know she's writing down her thoughts things they need things they need to do uh and a big question about horses yeah well horses are a big question (laughs) <laughs> Where do you get them? How right. do you feed them? How do you learn why, to ride why them? Why don't they get mad at you? Do you need to get a goat to be a friend with a horse? Is that required? <laughs> I didn't realize that was a thing, but I guess that's important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need, yeah. No, horses have friends and friends are goats. All right. And if you want to be a friend with a horse, you got to first be a friend with a goat. Well, they have a goat already because we see that a little later. But uh, yeah, I guess... They got all the bases covered. Okay, good. I think the point is, though, just Maggie's doing her leader-type stuff. You know, she's thinking about the bigger things, what they need to do to keep this place safe, keep it running, and that's nice to see. Yeah. Uh, 
at one point we see Daryl. He seems pretty solitary, sitting on a, a bench at night in the dark. Uh, and Maggie brings some food over to him. So that's good. You know, it's good that he's at least getting fed and she's uh, willing to interact with him. And finally, after all of this, we get a shot of Gregory in the building uh, and he appears to be out of booze, which for him is probably a big deal. And he looks out his window and we see Rosita come through the gates and, uh, you know, enter, uh, enter the hilltop. And Rosita goes to Sasha, who's tending the graves and asks for her help. So it turns out everything we just saw is kind of a hilltop catch-up montage. And all of this was happening before Rosita arrived there, which was at the end of the previous episode. Yeah, all preamble. Yeah, basically all preamble. But I do think it did a pretty good idea of giving us an idea of what's been going on, what's been happening at the hilltop, and I didn't mind it at all. You know, we didn't need a whole bunch of detail about all that stuff. It's just important that Maggie's taking a leadership role, yep. they're training people, and they're getting ready for what sounds like it's coming next. And it reminded us that Daryl is there too, all mopey and sad in the dark. It's nice to see that uh, Maggie doesn't really hold it against Daryl. Like she was obviously upset because she brought him the food. And then as she was going back into her, uh, into her trailer or into her, her bin or whatever it's called, uh, she had to compose herself before she went back in uh, where the other people were. She did. She, as she was walking away, she stopped. It looked like she wiped her eyes, right? To maybe yep. wipe some tears away. And what I liked about that too is... Well, it was subtle. It told us a lot. It was a subtle thing, but it told us a lot about how she's feeling. And Daryl looks over at her while she's doing it too. So it yep. kind of told us that it was on his mind as well, right? Yeah. Um, so pretty good cold open, in my opinion. It, it transferred a lot of information or provided a lot of information to us without being, you know, a whole episode about all this stuff that was going on. Anyways, we go to the opening credits, and when we come back, we have Maggie and Jesus chatting on uh, the steps to one of the trailers. And he's talking about growing up in a group home and how there was always a lot of people around, so he likes this. But he says now is better than his childhood because he feels like he belongs here more and reveals that he's gay. Yep. Well, that he's had boyfriends. He did, that he, he had trouble finding boyfriends when he was younger. You know, sexuality is a sliding scale, right? Just because he had boyfriend doesn't mean he didn't have girlfriends. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, we don't know that he's 100% gay. Yeah. <laughs> can I say it like well, that? You, you, <laughs> you can tell that he's coming out to Maggie and then Maggie just takes it in stride. And that's one of the things that uh, a listener a little while ago uh, pointed out that uh, when she was talking about Carol being a middle-aged woman uh, and being a kick-ass fighter, uh, that it's just accepted. And that's one of the things I like about this show is that everybody, no matter what their, uh, you know, what their preferences are, what they look like, well, how old they are, anything, it's just they're accepted. That's okay. That's just in this universe, fine, whatever. And I like that. Except for little girls. They always get killed. Well, that's just through, it's not because uh, anybody hates little girls. It's just this show happens to be hard on little girls. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They don't hate them. They love yeah, them. Nobody speaks so out against them. It's like, geez, I can't wait to kill another little girl because they're the worst. Right? Carol Nobody may be that. thinking it, but she doesn't say it at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, but, but you're right. I mean, great diversity in the cast and they don't make a big deal out of it. It's just, these are the way the characters are. Yeah. So they're chatting. Maggie mentions that she wants to trade 
spears with the kingdom for some body armor. And uh, that's kind of almost a offhanded comment, not offhanded, but side comment, because what we're seeing is Sasha listening to them from around the corner. And she hears her say this and then waits until they kind of go on their own way to talk to the blacksmith about making more of these spears or more of these weapons. And then Sasha takes that opportunity to go into the trailer, which I guess is Jesus's trailer. It is. And she's in there taking some bullets that are hidden in a carved out book. Um, Now, it doesn't take long for Jesus to come back in and they talk about her going after Negan. He asks her not to go. Um, but she says things like, you know, Rosita's going to do this anyways, and she's not going to change her mind. So I've got to go with her to, to help her out. So Jesus kind of, he knows the plan now, or he knows basically what's going on. And Enid is there as well. And, um, you know, they, they, they all agree that they don't want to tell Maggie, but they should tell Maggie. She deserves to know. Um, and Jesus ultimately says that they owe her that. So I guess just so that Maggie can be aware of what's going on. And before Enid leaves, she says to Sasha that, you know, this place, sorry, Sasha says to Enid that this place, you know, the future of this place is under Maggie and it's with her and with you. And uh, Enid says she is going to go tell Maggie in two minutes. <laughs> yeah. She, I was interested by Enid's reaction to the conversation between uh, Sasha and Jesus, because when they started talking about, uh, Rosita's plan, Enid kind of did a, you know, perked her ear up and was like, oh, I didn't know this little bit of information. So she is listening to this information, which, you know, we have that whole possible subplot of her being a spy. Yeah. So that made me think just her reaction was like, oh, that seemed a little weird that she would perk up at that. And then afterwards she said, I'm going to go tell Maggie. So I think she might be a bit of a tattletale and a spy. So it just, it's not a lot more evidence towards the Enid as a spy kind of uh, theory, but it's it was a little bit of a thing that prickled my uh, my spy detector. Your spy detector turned on just a little bit, eh? Just a little bit. And I've been watching The Americans lately, so my spy detector's, uh, you know, finally honed at this point. See, I don't know, man. I knew this was going to come up in this episode because Enid had a pretty prominent part, uh, which we'll get to more in a minute, but... I was also sort of thinking maybe this episode is going to put all that to bed and we won't have to talk about it anymore because it seems clear that she's not a spy. But then you say things like that and then I start thinking about what Enid does basically in the next scene or coming up soon and you could read it either way. I think you could read it either way that that she's on one hand she's trying to help but is she trying too hard and... And, and if she's listening to these conversations like that, oh, I don't know what to think anymore. Yeah, I think it's ambiguous. I think it's an unanswered question, and I think we need some definitive proof, uh, at least in the next couple of episodes. Well, I hope so. I hope it doesn't just go on and on and on forever. But I think if we get, and if anything comes of this, I think you're right. It probably will be this season, season seven. Yeah. Anyways, before this season, this scene ends, uh, Enid leaves, Sasha, Sasha tells her this and also gives her this bracelet and says it's for the baby, meaning, uh, Maggie's baby. Right. So I wonder if that bracelet's going to play a role at any point or we're going to see it again or it'll be important in some way. 
I don't know. Maybe it's all babies have bracelets because we saw one on Judith a couple of weeks ago. Did we? Oh, oh, right. Sasha, no, Tara gave her the shell bracelet. Yeah, babies have bracelets in this universe. I guess so. All right. Well, suddenly, outside, there's a bell ringing, and one of the hilltop lookouts on the wall says, the saviors are coming. Yeah. Right? So that's their warning. This time they saw them coming, which is nice. Sasha and Rosita decide that they need to get out of there right away. So they escape through a tunnel under the wall, which I think- Yeah, very- uh... Starlock 13, you know, ever watch Hogan's Heroes? Nope. And they used to they used to be able to get out of that uh, that prison camp uh, under the eyes, the watchful eyes of uh, Sergeant Schultz and Colonel Clink uh, quite easily. They had all kinds of weird contraptions where they could get out. Uh, they show the entrance to the tunnel within the walls, but they don't show the exit to that tunnel later. They just end up in the woods later. So I don't know how they got, uh, what that ed- exit of the tunnel looks like, but I assume it's much like, uh, Hogan's Heroes and it's the, uh, it, uh it's a stump of an old tree, uh, that has, uh, the top just comes off like a lid and they can climb out of that. That's what I, what I assume. <laughs> See, that sounds ridiculous, but maybe <laughs> you're right. I thought it was neat how they climbed into what looked like, like a wood, um, not shed. Uh, pile uh, it was a wood box it was a box yeah. of wood logs yeah <laughs> wood logs yeah a wood box they <laughs> climb into that and then it obviously goes down under the wall and comes up on the other side i would assume it just came out in some brush some dense foliage on the other side somewhere and you just wouldn't see it if you were walking by yeah well if that's the case then it's uh, a lot better hidden on the inside than it is on the outside and i think that's probably a mistake Maybe there's another yeah. wood box on the outside of the wall. That'd be weird, but yeah. So that's why it's got to look like a natural thing. So that's why I think it's a hollowed out stump of a tree. <laughs> okay, fine. Hollowed out stump of a tree. Sounds like a lot of work to hollow out the stump of a tree, but yeah. anyhow, they escape out there and Enid um, gets Daryl and Maggie to hide them and she leads them to a... Uh, one of those doors, external doors to a cellar or a basement under the building, under under the house. Yeah. Uh, so they they go down there and hide. Um, one one second, as they start running. Yeah. Right. Did, did you notice that as they started running just past the uh, uh, the edge of the house, that you saw like it panned past the vehicles pulling into the uh, into the compound. Yes. They would have to be complete stupid idiots not to see these people running past the house. Yeah, um, but it was right within their line of sight. If I had, if I was driving a vehicle and I was paying attention outside the vehicle and not looking at my iPad or something uh, while I'm driving, which I never do. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, yeah, don't do that. So usually when I'm driving, I pay attention to what's going on outside the vehicle uh, most of the time. And uh, when I do that, I notice things that are moving like running people, I pay attention to running people because they might run in front of me, right? So if you see somebody running down the sidewalk or walking between two parked cars and you're driving by, your your brain goes, okay, I'm going to pay attention to that because I don't want to kill that. So right, these people are driving into the compound and out of the corner of their eyes, probably not uh, not even like necessarily in their peripheral vision. I'm like, if, you, if 12 o'clock is right in front of you, these people are running past me at like 2.33 o'clock. Right. And they're just, they're running. And if I saw that, I'd be like, oh, three running people. Uh, that seems weird that they would just flee before this uh, group of vehicles driving into the compound. I'm going to go check and see what that was all about. 
Are you sure it wasn't close enough that they would have been past the building or the angle was was right and they might not have seen them? Because I thought the same thing, but I I let it pass. I let it go. I'm looking at it right now. No, there's not a chance in hell. That vehicle was almost pointed exactly like them. I was a little optimistic with my 2.33 o'clock. I'm thinking like 12.31. Like it was right there. It was a little like the medium distance, but you know, you didn't need binoculars to see these people running. They absolutely were seen by the lead vehicle. All right. Well, I'm just picking nits. I recognize that, but it was, I think it was a bad shot. It may have been, but we're going to have to let that go, I think. Yeah, it, it doesn't come up again. <laughs> no, it definitely doesn't. Uh, well, what we go to after that is that the saviors, they're coming into the main building to find Gregory. And like the last time they came over to find Gregory, it seems like all the saviors have come with yeah. Simon. And every time they walk into this building, we get this shot of the, the door opening and then like 30 guys filing in. And all I can think when I see it is it's like a clown car in a building where <laughs> the door opens and all these dudes come in for, I mean, I'm not going to say no reason because Simon doesn't want to be in there by himself, right? He needs his backup and his protection. But does he need like all of his crew there? And why does Simon travel with such a big crew, whereas the guy that goes to meet Ezekiel is like five guys max, period? Well, two reasons. Simon is way awesomer than that other group. Well, he is really way awesome. And uh, he's got a handle on his group. There's no uh, long-haired douchebag, um, you know, douchebag McAst Hatbury, whatever his name is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, cocking off and making trouble and causing shit and uh, being annoying. I mean, Simon's got, uh, you know, he's got his crew dialed in. Like his crew is is rock solid. And when he walks into a building, he wants everybody to know that he's about to walk into the building. What's the best way to do that? 30 armed guys. <laughs> Send walk 30 into guys a building first. <laughs> and two guys carrying a crate because that crate is important and that crate does not get put down <laughs> until he says, oh, put it down. But that's in a later scene. Right. Like, these two guys are walking around carrying this crate without putting it down, without moving a muscle during the entire time he's having a conversation with Gregory. His crew is dialed in. Wait a minute. Were they carrying the crate in this scene too? I didn't they notice. They were absolutely in the background. I remember looking at it going, what the hell I got a crate there for? And I thought <laughs> maybe it was a crate, because uh, this conversation could have been about Daryl, right? Uh-huh. Uh, so there was kind of like, a, we're, we, we've come here for somebody uh, and we need you to point to where that person is. And they've got this crate. And I thought maybe the crate was to hold the person that they were about to collect. That's funny. See, I didn't notice the crate, but I also thought at first they were talking about Daryl when Simon says, we've come to get somebody and you got to point me in the right direction. I thought he was saying, I thought he was trying to trick Gregory into admitting that Daryl was there. Right? But yes. of course they were coming for the doctor, not Daryl, but, but it was a good kind of turn after this that it turned out to be the doctor. Um, but I, but as you were talking about, you know, having the crew dialed in, I did think of the fact that the difference is Simon comes right into the hilltop where all the people are and everybody knows what's going on. So he brings a, his whole crew, um, Gavin and, uh, the other guy, um, when they meet the, uh, the kingdom people, they do it at a secret location outside the kingdom. Kingdom brings like five people and they bring five people. So the numbers are, are the same, right? Or the, right. 
roughly like the the uh, amount of force that is available on each side is kind of equal isn't that stupid for the saviors to do that's kind of dumb right what wouldn't they want to be there with like more people than the the people they're going to meet much like what uh, simon does with his uh, awesome crew wouldn't uh, you want to show up with you know if the kingdom said you you, you say the kingdom can only have 5 people i'm going to show up with 15 right because if you want to decisively win a battle the the uh, the proper ratio is 3 to 1 you have to have a 3 to 1 ratio to ensure victory uh, if you can have 4 to 1 or 15 to 1 fantastic but 3 to 1 is like the minimum to ensure uh, victory. Okay. So throwing up, showing up with equal, it's like playing a game of risk and you have the two little men, uh, you know, going against, uh, going against each other. And, uh, if you want to commit to a battle and you only have one guy and they only have one guy, it's a crapshoot. But if you got 16 guys and they only got one guy, you're pretty sure, pretty sure that you're going to win. So I, I, I get that. That makes a lot of sense. I think the saviors don't quite, I mean, in the building they they outnumber Gregory quite a bit. Obviously it's, it's like 30 to one or 30 to two, maybe 15 yeah. to one. Um, but, uh, but overall those saviors don't probably outnumber the hilltop people in, because there's just more hilltop people around, but they're much more heavily armed. That helps too. I don't, I don't think everybody was in here. Was the guy that talks to Enid later in this, uh, in this scene? I believe I he, he was. Oh, okay. I think he was. Oh yeah. It's the guy with the hat. He's there. Okay. Yeah. So but, anyways, you know, I just 15 think, of them have hats, <laughs> but yeah, I recognize them now. <laughs> Everyone's wearing a hat in the middle of summer and <laughs> super hot. Damn right. Uh, anyhow, I just thought it was funny how they all, every time we see this scene, they all file in and it takes a while, but you're right. I mean, Simon just likes to make an entrance and part of him making an entrance is sending his, his guys in first. So. Absolutely. Anyhow, they're all in the building. Gregory offers him gin, but Simon says he's into tequila now. <laughs> yeah. Gin is, gin's gross. That was like so five minutes ago. Yeah, exactly. I'm a tequila man now. And as we already said that he says they're there for a quick visit to take somebody, a certain somebody. So I thought it was Daryl, but turns out it is not. Uh, well, the next scene shows Daryl, right? The next, like they say, yes. we, you know, we're come to get somebody. Uh, we're going to take them away. You know, you've got to point to them. Uh, and then we get a shot at Daryl. Who is hiding in the basement with Maggie. They're behind a, a shelf full of supplies. And I mean, that's just a quick scene. It just kind of reinforces that, yeah, you're, they're looking for Daryl. And, and then we cut out to Rosita and Sasha in the forest, like on their way to the Saviors, just heading right. along and go to a commercial break. And when we come back, we've got Rosita and she's hot wiring a car. Sasha leans in the passenger side door and Rosita sees the necklace that she made for Abe out of the piece of the taillight of a car. Yep. And that, of course, is now around Sasha's neck. Um, this car is dead, so they continue to move on down the road and they come to another car and Sasha asks where she learned, where Rosita learned to disarm bombs. Which is yep. something I've been wondering for a couple of episodes now. Absolutely. Uh, Rosita says, at this time, she says, somebody I knew, but says that she only wants to talk about the mission. Doesn't want to talk about any of that stuff. Yeah. Which is fair. I mean, they're not quite getting along at this point yet. Uh, Sasha says that's fine. And she suggests that they hole up in some buildings that are outside the Savior's compound and wait for Negan to come out. And then they can shoot him from a distance, which... Rosita isn't really so sure about. She thinks they might miss. 
or whoever takes yeah, the it, shot. It's might a trade off, right? It's you know you get right in there. You can uh, if you're in the compound and you're standing right next to him within spitball distance, you're pretty sure that you can kill him if you can you know still have the element of surprise. Uh, but uh, you know either way, kill him or not, there's no real exit strategy. Whereas if they take a shot from a distance. They have a lesser chance of killing them, but they have the opportunity to get the fuck out and to try again a later day. Yeah, I mean, they have a... Yeah, you're right. They have a better chance to get out, but, I mean, if they're going there to kill them, you know, Rosita says, we really want to kill them. Well, this is this is what we need to do, regardless of what happens after that. Sasha's thinking a little bit more like, maybe we can have both. Maybe we can kill them and survive ourselves. Um, so, you know, they end up ultimately going with Sasha's plan at first, but, uh, we'll get to that in a minute. So they're, they're walking along they're still kind of continuing to argue about it. They kill a couple of zombies, which seems like almost secondary to anything else that's going on. Like they're basically having a conversation as they walk, take out some zombies and they really don't even worry about it. You know, zombies yeah. are not a problem. Uh, but overall they're just pretty unfriendly with each other still. So... Uh, back in the hilltop, a savior, the dude you were talking about with the hat, is approaching the basement door, and Enid runs up behind him and offers him fresh veggies to distract him. So what she's got in that basket is a couple of melons, and uh, I didn't see what else. It gets dropped at some point, but I think some cucumbers. was odd that uh, you know the uh, the kingdom had a whole tribute of like five melons and then uh, Enid shows up with like this bountiful basket full of vegetables compared to uh, what the uh, what the kingdom has been offering. What do you mean? The kingdom brought over 12 melons or 11 and then one later. Yeah. And now- She's got two melons and like six cucumbers in this basket, which seems like a lot for a little girl to bring uh, as a tribute to this one guy. <laughs> Don't when they her. have this whole caravan of, uh, you know, kingdom people to bring uh, 11 or 12, 12 melons. I, I wouldn't call her a little girl, but anyways, she's, she's just trying to distract the guy. She's like, look, I've got this. You can take this. She knows he's going to go down in there and search for some stuff. And yeah. she says, no, 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 you don't need to go in there. Just take this stuff. She's just trying to... She's trying to play it off like she's being nice and helpful, but obviously she's trying to distract him and get him to turn around and go the other way. Yeah. I just think that the, uh, the hilltop has a lot more uh, to offer than the kingdom, even though the kingdom seems to have a lot more people and they can, seem to be almost completely dedicated to farming. Yeah. Well, I, but I don't see, I don't understand what you're saying. The, the kingdom does have way more people. They seem to have way more crops. To give right. them. So you're wondering why they aren't taking more from the kingdom and it's just 12 yes. melons? That's right. When Enid, you know, this one person shows up with two melons, you mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, like there's, it just seems like there's a, a dis disparate number of, uh, you know, the quantity of what, what each of these different communities can provide. Uh, and I'm just, I'm, it seems a bit odd to me. Okay. Well, I don't think the hilltop is actually providing food very much like maybe that's the point that the hilltop provides medical supplies and i don't know whatever they can make they seem to be able to forge steel or metal and stuff like that so they're providing those types of things whereas um the kingdom is providing food but not a lot <laughs> i don't know right. i don't know i i 
I see what you're saying, I guess, that they could have, the kingdom should be giving more. But I think maybe what Enid was trying is that it's unusual for us to be providing food. So, hey, look at this. Isn't this unusual? Maybe you'll right. take this and go on your merry little way. Okay. Well, it doesn't work. No, it definitely doesn't work. Uh, this weirdo savior guy tells her that she should use the full word vegetables, not veggies. <laughs> Which I think is just so bizarre. I don't understand why he would say something like that. And frankly, it reminded me of the scavengers a little bit and how everyone keeps saying, why not just speak normally and use full sentences and not shorten everything? Suddenly this guy's telling Enid to do that. Well, uh, maybe they're just trained, trained to be contrary. No matter what somebody says to you, pick at it. Right. Just there's to, people out there like that, but that just no matter what you say, it doesn't matter. You could say whatever's on your mind. It could be perfectly reasonable and said in a perfectly reasonable manner, but they have a knack for just picking at something you just said. Maybe they're trained to be like, here's some veggies. And what he locked in was, uh, in on was, uh, you know, use the full word. No matter what they say, pick at it. It's weird. I mean, I guess that would be annoying. Um, and some people just like, to have an argument. They just like to be argumentative. So try that, try that tomorrow at work. Just no matter what somebody says to you, uh, just come back on them and pick at something that they said. Like they say, I brought you a coffee. It's like, oh, well, you could have brought me a donut too. Do you know how uncomfortable that would make the whole day? Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) Well, that's the whole point, right? For the saviors, that's exactly the whole point. You show up, you make everybody uncomfortable. Simon does that. Gavin does that. Uh, um, I was going to say the governor, but uh, uh, Negan does that. Everybody does that. You show up, you keep people off their center of balance by constantly picking at what they say. No matter what they say, you shove it back in their face somehow. That's super annoying, but I guess that maybe that's what they do. The saviors, they're keeping people off their guard or something. Um, anyways, he is weirdly threatening and creepy with with Enid um which isn't really the first time we've seen stuff like this but it doesn't work as you said and he goes down into the basement he starts looking around and uh, Maggie and Daryl stay quiet in their hiding spot even as he sort of approaches uh but we cut over to Simon he goes to collect Dr. Harlan Carson it's a good name I like that name Harlan yeah Harlan Carson you should watch uh, Justified the, uh, the main character's name is Harlan. Someday I will. Someday I will. But Harlan Shit. Carson, it just rolls off the tongue well. The doctor questions why Negan needs two doctors. And of course, Simon, in his unique way, tells him that his brother is dead. <laughs> with looks. With, he just with, does it with looks. He's like... Eh. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> uh, if you're asking me why we need two doctors, the answer is, we don't. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, and now this is where the crate comes into play. So he finally tells these guys to put down that giant crate and in it is a huge load of cart- cartons of aspirin. Aspirin. That's good. That's what they're trading for the doctor. A giant crate of aspirin for one doctor. Well, that makes kind of a funny, logical, stupid sense. Unless they took the aspirin from the hilltop originally at some point anyways, but I don't oh, know. Oh, they probably found a truck of truck of drugs that, you know, whatever. It's some, something sitting in the back of a, a drugstore at some point, And they just kind of had this, like, what the hell are we going to do with all this crap? Yeah. Like, oh, I know. Let's, we got to go get that doctor. Oh, let's give it to them just as a joke. Nobody, love it. nobody <laughs> needs this much aspirin. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, um, that's what that's what they leave. Now, Gregory wants to talk to Simon outside. They go out there and Gregory, <laughs> they go into what I thought was the sort of funniest tiny little space they could and they're standing right in front of each other basically <laughs> like nose to nose i thought yeah. it was kind of ridiculous they're having a secret conversation they are very they might, very they might secret kiss. <laughs> i wasn't so sure man i thought it could happen like somebody just has to lean in a little bit and you never know yeah uh but gregory is saying things like that you know he needs to keep his people's trust so yeah you don't want to do crazy stuff like this because I need my people to believe in me if we're going to continue, you know, providing for you. And he says, Gregory basically says that you wouldn't want someone else to take over get or get any crazy ideas and take over. So I thought this scene was actually really well executed because I think Gregory is standing there trying to trying to tell Simon that, listen, man, Something's going on here. Somebody already is trying to take over and they have a plan to take you down or take Negan down, but I don't want to come out and say it because that's going to, you know, make the shit hit the fan right away. Yeah. But he was trying to be subtle about it. So I thought it was kind of good, but uh, maybe, I don't know, am I reading too much into this scene or, or did you get that out of it too? Oh, I got that absolutely out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, but Simon doesn't seem to to figure out what's going on. And what he ends up doing is telling Gregory that he can come see him anytime if he has concerns. And he appears to give him a map to the savior's location. I'm pretty sure it was just an address. Well, maybe an address. It was some way to find them because Gregory says he doesn't even know where to go if he's going to come see him. Uh, so Simon writes something on a piece of paper, puts it in his pocket, and he says, I'll arrange so that the guard will just let you in when you get there and you can come see me. And uh, I thought that was a weird turn of I, events. I'm pretty sure Simon was coming on to Gregory. I think he wants him to come for a visit. <laughs> uh, okay, I didn't think of that, but maybe. <laughs> you never know. It's subtle. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, but I, you know, it's there. It's huh. uh, subtext for sure. Come on over anytime. Come on, anytime you want to come over and have a chat about whatever you want. You know, here's my number. We can talk about work. We can yeah. talk about growing melons. I'll just let you in. I have Atari. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I don't know, man. But I, I, overall, I just thought it was strange that Simon would say things like that. And I'm, if it, if it turns out that they, uh, that this comes back into play somehow, like now Gregory has the location or Gregory has an in at the the guard station of the Savior's place. Is it yep. called the Sanctuary? The Saviors live at the Sanctuary? Sure. All right. I'm not sure. I've heard people I'm call not it sure. that. So uh, anyways, if it turns out that this becomes important, I feel like I'm in, a, I'm in a way going to be disappointed because it seems like just a sort of a lucky happenstance that this happened. Um, and, and Simon divulged this information, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure what they're going to do with this. The whole thing was very vague. Yeah, it is a lot of kind of vague. There is a piece of paper though, and pieces of paper that uh, get stuffed in, into people's pockets tend to come out in the plot later on. They do. They do tend to come back in some sort of important way. So I wonder if Gregory is going to be killed. Someone will be rooting through his body and they'll find this paper that says, come visit me at one, two, three, four <laughs> Maple Lane and uh, everything will be 
we'll have a great old time. Yeah, XOXO kisses and hugs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. XOXO Little hearts. <laughs> he dotted the Simon eye. with a heart over the eye. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That that would be amazing if it was this. Uh, if if his if the S in Simon was a big bubble letter S, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like my kids draw them. Uh, anyway, so we go to a commercial break. We come back, and uh, Daryl and Maggie are still hiding. The savior that's down there looking around. I wonder if he has a name. I didn't think to look up his name. He probably does. Anyways, for now, he's the savior that's searching the basement. He's looking yep. around. He gets really close to them. He even takes something off the shelf, like right in front of them. And Daryl kind of leans forward like he's going in to kill him with a knife that he's holding. But Maggie stops him. And then the savior leaves and goes out. Well, Daryl saw the knife that he was carrying because he knew that Enid, uh, he took the knife off of Enid, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, and he had it on his hip. So he, Daryl knew that that was Enid's knife. And maybe he thought that uh, Enid had been hurt in order to take that knife. Jeez, so you're right. that was one of the, one of the things that uh, Daryl was thinking is like, that guy deserves to die because he might've hurt Enid. Well, that's what he says when they come out after he leaves him and Maggie come out. Daryl says he was going to kill him. He deserves to die. And I didn't put two and two together there, but you're right. He did take the knife off of Enid. So the guy deserved, I think in Daryl's mind, that guy deserved to die for a lot of reasons. Yeah. One of which maybe was that he had Enid's, Enid's knife. Um, and this now is where we get a scene between Maggie and Daryl where he breaks down Daryl and he apologizes to Maggie for getting Glenn killed. Yep. And, but she says it wasn't his fault and that she wanted to kill Negan too. And she calls Daryl one of the good things in this world, just like Glenn was. Yeah. Not nice. Yeah. Um, you know, she asks him then, she basically forgives him and says that we need you to help us win this thing. And they hug. Big old embrace. Yeah. When uh, when the baby's born, I think that Maggie's going to make Daryl the baby's squirrel father. Is that so a it's thing? It's sort of like a godfather, but uh, it's more of a, a squirrel thing where, you know, Daryl had that bandolier of squirrels in the first season. Yeah. I think that uh, he's going to be the baby squirrel father and bringing squirrels to him when he was, or her, when uh, when they're a baby. And as they grow up, you know, Daryl will teach them how to hunt squirrels. I wonder if I have a squirrel father. You should have a squirrel father. Everybody needs a squirrel father. Does Jasper have a squirrel father? Uh, Jasper does not have a squirrel father yet, but I'm uh, currently actively searching for a squirrel father for him. <laughs> okay, great. That's good to know. I wouldn't want that poor guy to go his lifetime without a squirrel father. Yeah. Well, I'm just glad that Daryl and Maggie have reconciled and are friends again and made up and uh, that she doesn't blame him and he can feel bad about it, but now he at least knows that she doesn't think it's his fault, this whole thing. Yeah, that's nice. Outside, we see the saviors load Dr. Harlan Carson into the back of a pickup truck. And, he doesn't even rate a seat. And it's leave. like, you know, doctors are pretty hard to come by in this, uh, in this world. It's like, for crying out loud, I mean, give, him a, give the man a seat. Well, Let him sit inside the car. <laughs> I guess so, but they're not doing anything special for anybody, these guys, you know? That's, yeah. that's not the way they operate. They put him in the back of a pickup truck and drive on out of there. We go to Sasha and Maggie. They come to a used car lot. They're still looking for a vehicle. There's a bunch of zombies milling around. They light a car on fire to distract them, I guess, so they can spend some time to find another vehicle in the used car lot that will start. 
and ultimately they do they got to kill a zombie i think uh, while she's hot wiring it and she gets in sasha gets in they drive away and they crush through the fence as they're as they're leaving and then they drag a piece of it away with them as they as they drive out of there yeah which i thought was, was nice usually when people drive through chain link fences it doesn't get hung up on the under undercarriage but usually it does when in real life when you drive through a fence and we saw this in one shot right the car drove through the fence and then stopped, like back through the fence and then stopped for a couple of seconds and then drove away. It was all one shot. It was. If it, if it had been a cut, if there had been a cut in there, the fence wouldn't have been dragged dragged away. But usually when you drive through a chain link fence, it gets caught in the undercarriage. I know every time I drive through a fence, it gets caught under my car. Yeah, I get all kinds of stuff caught in my undercarriage. <laughs> I bet you do. You yeah. got to clean, clean thoroughly down in your undercarriage. Yeah, you got yeah, to give your undercarriage a how's your father every now and again. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Um, but now they've got a vehicle. So we go to a commercial and when we come back, I guess we've just skipped over the rest of the trip to where they're going and we are in the building across from the Savior's compound, Sasha and Rosita, and they have taken their position there and they're looking through the scope of the rifle to, you know, set up their shot and wait for Negan to come out. But instead what Sasha sees is Eugene doing his job, checking the fence. So I have a question about this. Okay. Uh, how far away do you think uh, Sasha and Rosita are from Eugene when they spy him on the side of the fence that's inside the Savior's compound? Well, to be honest, I have really no idea. And I feel like they can't be all that far away. But I also think if they were too close, they would never get into that building undetected with, a, with driving up in a car and stuff like that. Well, this is my problem, is that I don't think that they're that far away either, because the scope that they have, I don't know much about scopes, but, you know, binoculars are two times and 10 times and eight times and whatever. I mean, if I'm looking through my binoculars that are, you know, 10 times zoom, and I look into my backyard, and if I, you know, if I was far enough away to see somebody that was as big as uh, Eugene was, I could, it'd probably be 100, 150 feet away, 200 okay. feet you know, okay. but, so from this fence, there is a, uh, a zone of zombies and then a building with open windows, uh, that is perfect for a sniper's nest that is completely unguarded, unprotected, unseen, uh, by anybody in the compound. Yes. Not only is it, is it perfect for all these things? I feel like with the naked eye, you could probably look back and see them pointing that gun out of that window. Absolutely. And if in Eugene, being the big brain that he is, he would look and say, you know, that'd be a perfect spot for a sniper. We should really either demolish that building or board up all the windows or put guards up there permanently or fill the place with zombies. One of those things. Yeah. Any of those things are a decent option to keep people yeah. out. I mean, whenever you, uh, you have the secret service, you know, with the president or whatever, uh, as soon as they walk into an area, the first thing they do is they look for open windows. I mean, they learned that from the Kennedy assassination, right? You're driving down, uh, driving, have the president driving down the road. Uh, well, a couple things they learned from that. One was uh, don't let anybody have an open window. That's just stupid. If you see an open window, you put somebody up there to make sure there's no sniper up there. The second thing is don't put the president in an open air car. In a convertible? You put him in a limo under bulletproof or bullet resistant glass. That thing is a moving tank nowadays. Uh, It can take an RPG, those fuckers. Really? Oh yeah. There, you watch, if you ever see the doors open, the windows are like three inches thick 
They're not fucking around. Those things are armored sons of bitches. They have run solid rubber tires, and uh, they can take a they can take a hit. Well, I, I know they don't screw around with that sort of thing. I just didn't know they were. I just figured they were bulletproof. Like I didn't know they were like un- indestructible. <laughs> well, yeah, they're they're basically the closest thing they can get to a tank that still looks like a car. Right, and they <laughs> they they cart those things all over the world too. So when the yeah. president flies to. Europe or he lands in Paris, they bring their own cars. Damn right they do. Could you trust you trust the Europeans? You wouldn't trust anybody to have your uh, have your back as far as vehicles go. It's just like no, I'm taking my own car. It's oh my god, the amount of money spent just on shuttling the president around the world with all this stuff. I three hundred people go or or something crazy, maybe even more than that. But man, that's that's nuts. Anyways, it's probably money well spent because it, you know, having a president assassinated, it's a big deal. Oh, of course it's a big deal, but my God, the money spent on, on that kind of stuff is just staggering. Anyway, the security that Eugene is putting into place here is all well and good, but uh, he's being an idiot because there's obviously a, a sniper's nest across the street from where they are. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of agree with you. I feel like they just, I, I feel like they skipped over something that would be potentially important, how they got there and why it was so poorly guarded, right? Yeah. Or, or why it was just so available to them. Um, well, anyhow, they, they're looking, they see Eugene, they, they take a break from watching and decide that uh, Rosita is going to teach Sasha how to tie some, some knots that she's for some tying. Reason. For some reason, yeah. I mean, knot tying as a skill is a valuable one. It seems like it's an odd time to do it, but whatever. And while Sasha's practicing the knots, Rosita takes a look through the scope and sees Eugene. Yeah, and that's still uh, just uh, a side note as well. That rifle that they have is the loudest friggin' rifle ever made. Like every time they touch that thing, it makes like rattly gun noises. Like the foley involved in this, just like every, you know, it's like every time you pick up a weapon, it sounds like it's being cocked. Right. When you see that in TV, every time they touch that thing, it was like, it's like a fucking transformer every time they moved it. You have to know. There was so much going on here that was so wrong. The sniper's nest is too close. The window is too open. There was too much light. You could look in the window and uh, Sasha's face was lit up. And then this rifle that missed makes too much noise and she was sticking it like four feet out the window. It's like, take a step back and aim it so that it, you know, you're still inside the goddamn room without <laughs> the barrel of the rifle sticking out the window. There's just so much wrong. A lot, a lot going on wrong in this, in this scene. Well, um, they start talking, so they're not really even looking out the window most of the they, time. They should have started a fire or had candles lying around or something. <laughs> like, it's just so crazy. Add some romance to the scene. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, they start talking and Sasha says that they're lucky to have Rosita with them because she is so capable. And she comes down from her view out the window and she now explains how she learned to do a bunch of things like disarm bombs. And the explanation is this, that she learned of various skills, all her skills, from the various men that she's been with over the years, I guess. Yeah. Um, post-apocalypse, I think, most of the time. She said that Johnny taught her about bombs. She said Marcus about cars. And uh, Chaser was the guy who taught her about knot tying. Nice. So all the guys wanted to protect her because she was incapable of doing anything herself. And 
she decided that she would learn from all of them. And then as she did that, she'd eventually outgrow them and bounce, as she says. Right. She basically learned all these skills, apparently, from random dudes she was with for various amounts of time as she was traveling around after the zombie apocalypse. Much like Sarah Connor. Because that's what Sarah Connor did after she found out that she was having the baby to, uh, you know, uh, fight the uh, fight the Terminators. Uh, she just, you know, bounced around and uh, learned various things from various people and, you know, got really, really buff and was able to break out of that mental institution that one time once the Terminator saved her. Interesting that Gail Ann Hurd was a producer on the Terminator movies and is also yeah. a producer on The Walking Dead. Oh yeah, I wonder if she's going to get into a uh, a a mechanized load lifter and say, "You get away from her, you bitch," because Gail Ann Hurd was the executive producer on Aliens, right? As well, yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll have to see. There's some influence <laughs> going be awesome. on here. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Sasha asks that you know if that's how it was with Abraham, that she was just using him to learn something. And Rosita says, no, she fell in with him because she re- he realized that she could handle herself, like he respected her. Yeah. And they talk about how, you know, Rosita was never really comfortable at Alexandria. And she realized now that she didn't hate Abe, she hated that he figured out how to have a life there before she did. And he figured that out and unfortunately broke up with Rosita because of it kind of thing. Right. And, you know, she asks if Sasha was happy. She says she was. And they, um, you know, they, they agree that Abe would have wanted to go out fighting, but Negan took that away from him, you know, by, by beating him in the head uh, uh, while he was on his knees on the ground. Yeah, that was just plain mean, you know. On Negan's part? Yeah, for ne- yeah, it was mean for Negan to snuff him out, you know, to not really allow him to to go out the way he wanted. Yeah, a fair fight or no, an unfair fight. That's on yeah, yeah. That's I mean, that's all Abe would have wanted. And so now Sasha and Rosita have come together. They agree that they have each other's backs, and I guess everything is going to be great between them from here on in. They check the window again, they take a look, and now they see Simon and his crew returning from the hilltop with the doctor. Negan comes out, but nobody can get a shot. They can't get a shot because he's conveniently always hidden right behind somebody, whether it's Eugene or the doctor or one of his other guys as he walks back into the building. So they just can't get a clean shot at him. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, that's that's a bummer. They turn on the they'll walkie. Have, they'll have to get closer next time. Like, you know, go go into the building that's only three feet away from uh, <laughs> from from the compound. Right. They'll they just they'll need to get a better angle at least, you know, something. Yeah. They turn on the walkie they have and they hear Eugene on there asking for more walkers and telling all of the savior people to get into the surrounding buildings and the area and to round them up. They need more zombies for his zombie fence project. Right. So you know, remove them from where they're doing their guard duty and uh, bring them over here so that we can provide more sniper nests for uh, various other groups of people that want to, you know, bring snipers. Well, he's saying that you guys have to go out and he's basically telling them to go out and search the buildings that are like right there anyways, that they've probably searched before just not today. So Sasha and Rosita realize, huh, well, those guys are all coming out here now. So we're going to have to change our tactics. And instead of waiting here, now it's time to go in. Yeah. 
Um, after a commercial break, we come back and we've got Gregory in his office. He seems to be writing up job assignments for people. Jesus comes in. Gregory mentions that he's been slacking lately. <laughs> you know, you haven't been doing your, your job, your scouting, your, your work, stuff like that. And then Gregory threatens Jesus and uh, says to, you know, look out for his, and, and says he looks out for his friends and he realizes now that we aren't friends. Sounds like a threat to me. It does. It does. I look out for my friends and you're not one of them. Yeah. Then all of a sudden somebody named Cal comes in with a bottle of tequila. So I guess Gregory had ordered that. And he seems happy about that. So as Jesus is leaving then out in the hallway or in the foyer of the building, Daryl asks him where Sasha and Rosita are. So he has now realized that they're gone. And we don't get the answer, do we? We don't know if Daryl, I mean, if Jesus says they went out on a Negan killing mission or he says, I don't know. I haven't seen them in a, in a day. Who's Sasha and Rosita? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Who are they again? I don't remember <laughs> What's those What's a truck? <laughs> uh, cut back to Eugene. It's, it's uh, nighttime now over at the Savior's place. Eugene comes out with another guy. He's talking about safety, safety protocols. Yep. So you see, he is thinking about it, Jason. He's thinking about these things. He just can't do everything all at once, right? He's putting all these new procedures into place slowly. Yeah, maybe he's starting from the inside out, right? Instead of just thinking of the whole area and what uh, what's going on. He's just trying to secure the compound right now, and then maybe he'll bulldoze a bunch of buildings to build a, uh, a killing field outside the compound at a later time. Right? He's a smart guy. He's a smart guy. I think maybe this is what he's doing. But they get close to the fence, and suddenly the guy is shot in the head and dead. And out of nowhere, Rosita and Sasha are right there, and they say they're breaking him out. They're like, come on, cut the fence. You're coming with us. We're saving you. We're rescuing you. But Eugene refuses to go. Yeah. He is, he's either enjoying his new position so much, or he's just so afraid to do anything. He decides that he's staying. He is not going to go with them. It's the complete opposite of uh, uh, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo rescuing Princess Leia. Princess uh, yeah. Leia was like, you know, she, uh, you know, readily jumped out of the, jumped up and, and tried to get out of there and then uh, quickly berated them for not having a plan to, to get out. And she had to come up with the idea of going into the trash compactor, right? So it was all Princess Leia's idea. So this is the complete opposite where uh, Eugene, being Princess Leia in this scenario, <laughs> uh, or the opposite of Princess Leia. Sure. Because uh, Princess Leia didn't have a mullet, but Eugene does. You see where I'm going with this? Uh, so they come to rescue him and he's like, no, 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 it's scary out there. It's, uh, it's nicer in here. I, I like it here. Yeah. It's warm. It's warm and cozy and I'm not more going More yards revenge here than there is out there. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, so Eugene, yeah, he won't go. They cut the gate and Rosita is getting ready to go in and kind of covering Sasha as she cuts it. But Sasha goes through and locks Rosita out. And she says, it's not your time. There's got to be a point to it, right? They need you. Yeah. So she's saying you're, you, they need you to fight, I guess. Sasha runs in, she kills a guy on her way in and she goes in a door. Rosita turns around and runs back. And after a minute of running along the building. She stops. She's sort of crying in the darkness. It's dark. Remember she sees the figure of a man carrying a crossbow. 
Oh, yeah. Cut to black. So I guess Jesus did tell Daryl what's going on. Well, I want to ask you this question, Jason. I don't think that's Daryl. In fact, I don't have any doubt that that is not Daryl. Really? That's Dwight. How can you be so sure? I, I, well, I was about to ask you, is there any doubt that this is Dwight and not Daryl? I think the whole <sighs> Daryl thing was a setup to make people think it was Daryl, but they failed in my, in my case anyways, because I am like 100% sure that's Dwight. I just, my brain just told me Daryl because of what was going on. Maybe, maybe I fell for this ruse that you are saying that it is. I'm just, uh, I'm letting the, uh, the video here catch up and I'm just going to see what that silhouette looks like. Not that that means anything, right? Because the first time, uh, we saw Michonne, you know, it wasn't Denai Guerrero because she hadn't been cast yet. All those years ago. Yeah. All those years ago. I don't know. That kind of, Daryl. No, come <sighs> on. Come on. There's no, Dar Dwight has been walking around with a crossbow. They've made <sighs> a big deal out of him dressing like Daryl, having long shaggy hair like Daryl, using the crossbow like Daryl. And you can see the hair. You can see the crossbow. I'm like, that's Dwight. This is Dwight. We're going to be, we're going to we're going to think he's there to kill her or capture her or, you know, prevent her from doing whatever she's trying to do, but he's going to help her. And this is going to be the first step in Dwight's plan, whatever it is. Or, or it's Daryl and you're completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I suppose there is a small, minute possibility of that, but I don't think there's any doubt. That it is Dwight. I have a doubt. I'm I'm I'm, I'm leaning towards your uh, your explanation, but uh, I have a doubt. Okay. Well, it'll be it'll be more fun to find out now because I f figured you'd be completely on board with the Dwight thing, but I'm kind of glad you're not. So now one of one of us has to be right. <sighs> Actually, have to, technically have to that's put money not on true. this or something. Uh, I don't know. We can. Maybe we'll, we'll wager uh, 3.2 Jason points. <laughs> oh, good. How many do I have right now? You have none, Chris. Oh, I'm supposed to be keeping track myself, aren't I? Yes, you are. Damn. And there, therefore, you have none. If you forget about them, you lose them. Right, right, right. Well, all right. I'll be curious to find out what our listeners think, whether it's Dwight or Daryl. So let us know if you send in feedback and we'll we'll get to that on our, our feedback show. I can't probably read everybody's email about it's Dwight or it's Daryl, but maybe I'll see if I can keep a tally and see where the see where it falls. Is there is there any way to put a poll up someplace? Um I could probably figure that out. In fact, polling is something I've thought about doing for a long time uh, in relation to this podcast, but I've just never got around to it. So maybe we, we can do, do the, uh, we can do the manual poll. We'll just start calling our listeners one at a time. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I'll <laughs> let you get right on that, Jason. Uh, we could maybe do it on Twitter, which incidentally you should, you should get back into Twitter. Cause I've been, I've been including, I've been tagging you and they call it tagging on Twitter. I've been including your Twitter handle occasionally in tweets now because oh, people, yeah. uh, People it still lets you have questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long do you have to not log into something before it lets your account lapse? I don't think that ever happens. But anyways, oh, come on, get back into Twitter. You can probably do polls on Facebook too. Anyways, just just write in. Let's find out uh, if it's if it's Dwight or if it's Daryl. What people think? I think Dwight. You think Dwight, but maybe Daryl. That's, that's right. Okay. <laughs> Uh, all right, Jason, in general though, how did you feel about this episode? 
I felt good about it. I liked it. Did you? I did. You're, you seem surprised. Are you surprised that I liked it? Did you do not like it? I, I thought this episode was okay. I liked it fine, but some things about it uh, bothered me a little bit. I One thing I realized is that I didn't find this episode nearly as compelling as I did the one before it. And of course, the one before it was all about Morgan and Carol and what's going on with them. And in a way, they kind of flip-flopped, right? Morgan ends up living in Carol's house in crazy town and Carol has decided to come out of retirement and join the fight with the kingdom. Now this episode in a lot of it was about Sasha and Rosita and their relationship and how they sort of came together again and what they were trying to do. But I didn't find this episode or at least their scenes in this episode nearly as compelling as I did last week when it was two different characters. Well, I think my thing is that uh, anything that uh, any episode that Stephen Ogg is in is twice as good as any episode that Stephen Ogg is not in. I will agree with that, that Stephen Ogg basically steals every scene he's in. Absolutely. He's, oh, yeah. He's like, he's the king of whatever his, his screen time. He's absolutely, yes. He, he makes every scene he's in better. And I love watching him. You know, he's just so expressive in the face and his character is hilarious in a way. And I love the way he's written and the way he delivers the lines. Everything about Stephen Ogg is amazing. Totally give you that. But even when I think about what happened at the hilltop, the only scene that I think was of any real importance was the one in behind the building where, you know, Gregory and him almost kissed. (laughs) and, and that was important because of the subtle information transfer there where, where Stephen Ogg wrote something on a piece of paper, gave it to Gregory, and Gregory was trying to tell him that, you know, something is afoot here and what are we going to do about it? But otherwise, when you think about it, Simon and the saviors show up at the, at the hilltop to get a doctor, which is not all that interesting. They deliver a bunch of aspirin to them. Not all that interesting. Oh, I found that interesting. That was fun. That was a that was a big fuck you to you know for taking your doctor. But you know, I thought that was entertaining. And the two guys that were carrying that crate, I thought were great. Okay, fair enough. A little bit entertaining, but I don't think it really did much for the for the episode. And did we really learn anything new about the saviors? About Gregory? About anything that was going on, not really, other than that one scene in behind the building, I think. So I just felt like there was a lot of that stuff for not a lot of extra plot or Well, that's okay. Like not that. everything has to be plot. I mean, uh, it it's doesn't. not all about the uh, the end result, right? It's uh, it's about the journey along the way. And it, I thought this would had interesting, you know, I disagree with you on some aspects of it. But, uh, you know, a couple of things I found interesting was, you know, every second that Stephen Ogg was on the screen, for one. And the, the second was uh, we got a little bit more of Rosita's backstory, which I thought was uh, was interesting. We got your question answered as to where she learned to disarm bombs mm-hmm. from that prepper guy that seemed to have known that for some reason. I mean, there's lots of preppers out there that don't know how to disarm a bomb. Sure. but like They know how to store food and to, you know, properly store rice so that you don't get weevils in them or whatever, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you know, disarming bombs, uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe she just, Rosita got lucky and she got the one guy who knew how to disarm bombs. So. And hot wiring cars is, uh, 
I think it's a I think it's a bit gone by the wayside now because you know every car since built since 1999 probably can't be easily hotwired. I'm pretty sure that's true, but th- that's another thing. It felt like Sasha and Rosita spent half this episode walking around trying to hotwire a car. And I was like, oh, I, we spent so much time with those two just to get them to, you know, eliminate the differences, eliminate their differences and feel, you know, good about each other again. And the the scene between Maggie and Daryl, which I feel like I would have found way more interesting, was over in two seconds. It just it felt lopsided to me where we got way too much. Sasha and Rosita, not enough Maggie and Daryl. Um, so I don't know. It just, I didn't dislike the episode. I just, the whole thing as a whole didn't really work very well for me. It felt imbalanced. I thought it was fine. <laughs> you know, stuff happened and we also learned that Eugene uh, didn't want to leave. Uh, you know, that was, that was interesting. That we know they, that already. Uh, he, we know we, he's Negan. He doesn't want to leave. He likes it there. He's going to well, go where I it's safe. I thought he was just playing a part, much like when they first saw him. It's like, well, he's pulling some kind of angle, right? He's doing something that he needs to do in order to survive this experience. But is he really on board? No. And so we have to go rescue him. But we answered the question. Like, I thought that he was just kind of playing along because he's not an idiot. But uh, now, you know, with the chance of being rescued... He, uh, he declined it. So we, we learned his stance. Yeah. But Eugene does whatever is going to, whatever he perceives is the safest thing, right? Even, you know, if he decided that he was safer fleeing with them and being rescued, that's what he would have done. He does things out of fear, right? So I feel like we already knew, even if he's not really working an angle, he might not really be Negan, as he says, but he's like, hey, at least I'm safe here. I've got a good job and uh, food and a bed to sleep in. So this is where I'm yeah, staying. Yeah, but how many how many people inside this compound will let him watch them have sex? I mean, Rosita will do that. We've, we've known that. <laughs> yes. So, you know, that he's got to weigh that against, uh, you know, being safe and warm and having Yara's revenge. I guess he does, but I... You know, there's Yard's Revenge, watch people have sex. You know, it's 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 a tough call. It's a tough call. It is Rosita, though. It's true. <laughs> uh, anyways, I, I don't think we got anything new about Eugene, other than he's really good. It seems like he's really good at this head engineering job uh, for, uh, for the place. Yeah. And there was too much Sasha and Rosita, not enough Maggie and Daryl. And, uh, just, it was all out of whack for me, even though I didn't dislike that this episode that much, I still think it was better than the one with Rick and Michonne from a few weeks ago. Um, but it just didn't land right for me. The other thing too, is the one other thing is when Sasha goes in and locks Rosita out of the gate, that feels like such a trope in movies and TV shows where you have two characters working together to do something. And then at the last minute, one of them switches the, changes the plan and locks the other one out because that character thinks it's in the best interest of the other one to not let them do what they were going to do. And I don't That's like true. that. It bugs me. Uh, fine. Well, no, why do they always have to do that? Why can't they do something different? I mean, if they're going to work as a team, let them work as a damn team. 
it took me out of it. I was like, oh, this again? How many times have we seen this? Not just in this show, but in like every show I've ever seen. Yeah, okay, you've convinced me. <laughs> it just bugs me, that kind of thing. It's like, do something, do something different. Do something unique. Right. Or at least not the same as everything else. So, anyways, okay episode, not my favorite, um, but uh, what are you going to do? Well, what we are going to do is take a very quick break. Uh, everybody, when we come back from our from our ad here, we will uh, talk about our Record Your Favorite Scene contest and read your holy crap moments. Make sure you listen to this ad, though, because there's something special going to be in it. So uh, special. we will uh, see you right after this. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Gato Negro Wines. It's the perfect wine pairing for your favorite TV show, including The Walking Dead. Now, Jason, we have something special to announce this week. Very excited. It is a contest put on by Gato Negro that we uh, want to let you know about. What you need to do is go to watchsipwatch.com, where you can enter for round-trip airfare and an all-inclusive zombie experience. Inclusive zombie experience. Explain this zombie experience. They're going to fly some winners to Atlanta for a special zombie city tour, food, wine, all that included, and the chance to attend a special screening of the season seven finale. Cool. So that's food, flights, zombies, and wine, all on Gato Negro. Watchsipwatch.com is where you go to enter. And the website has all the terms and conditions, of course, and it's all there. But you've got to act fast. The contest is only accepting entries until March 24th, 2017 at 11.59 p.m. So make sure you do that as soon as you hear this to get your entry in. WatchSipWatch.com. I'm going there right now. WatchSipWatch. Yes, that is it. In the meantime... Follow Gato Negro on social media, on Instagram, uh, username Gato Negro Wine, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Gato Negro Wine. And, uh, of course, visit watchsipwatch.com to enter that contest. We thank Gato Negro for their support of this podcast.
All right, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Really quickly, I just want to remind everyone about our Record Your Favorite Scene contest for Season 7. Well, it's running for seasons during Season 7, but you can record a scene from any season of The Walking Dead. And the idea is you choose your favorite scene, record it, send it into us, and then at the end of the season, Jason and I will pick our favorite, and you will win a big old box of stuff, really cool stuff, which we'll talk about another time. But there's all kinds of good stuff in there. Uh, here is an entry that comes from Karen in Los Angeles, California. What you got? Um, nothing. Just, like I said, journal stuff. Condoms. <laughs> you got a girlfriend I don't know about? Me? No. 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 I, then you're a pretty competent guy. No, 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 no. I, I wasn't, I would never, something wrong with me? No, no, I, I would never have sex, um, I'm lost. I have sex with you. Really? Why? You're asking questions? Uh, I, I can't help wonder. It's not like our options are vast these days. You're not the only one that's lonely. Thank you, Karen, for sending that in. That was, do you know what that was, Jason? I don't. I was trying to place it. I couldn't quite get it out of, out of my skull. I know it's in there someplace, but I couldn't find it. So it's a while ago. That was the first time. It was season two, episode four, I believe. The first time that Glenn and Maggie did it. Right. <laughs> they're in the drugstore and they're all awkward. And then Maggie's like, I'll have sex with you. And, you know, Glenn doesn't know what to do. But uh, I guess he figures it out in the end. So um, there you go. Well, I mean, Maggie's pregnant, so I guess so, eh? <laughs> yeah, that may not have been the time that did it, but you know, still. Oh, not that time, but eventually they figured it out. <laughs> eventually they figured it out. Yeah, he did it right for once. <laughs> or I mean, once at least. Anyways, thank you, Karen, for sending that in. Um, uh, that was fun. That was really cool. If you want to get an entry in, record your favorite scene, either by yourself or with your friends or family, and then email it to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. We're we need to get all the entries in by a week after season seven ends. Just so that'll give you time. If there's something in the season finale, you can record that and send it to us. And then we'll choose the winner for about a week after that. So there you go. Holy crap. Did you see that? Well, well, it is time for Holy Crap, Did You See That? And without any further delay, I'm just going to dive right in. Our first one here is a call from Janelle in Philly. Hi, this is Janelle from Philly, and I apologize, I'm losing my voice. But I just wanted to say, oh my God, Holy Crap, did you see that the writers are trying to pull one over on us? I was pretty sure it was Sasha that was going to die, and then we got some character development, and you know... Any kind of character development on Rosita or any character means they're dead. So I was sure, I was positive that Rosita was the one that was going to die this episode. And she didn't. So kudos for throwing me off my game because usually I can predict everything that's going on. Um, I'm sure she's still dead. A couple more episodes, we'll find out. But uh, I don't hate Rosita as much anymore. So I, I'm pretty sure she's going to have to die. Usually once I start liking a character, they're gone. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks, Janelle. So, yeah, you like a character, they kill them off. They bring a character up, they give her some, or give the character something new to do, and uh, <laughs> and they're, they're toast. Um, 
What do you think, Jason? Sasha, Rosita, or both? Eugene. Eugene? Yeah, He's... I think Eugene's getting a little too big for his britches. I think that might kill him off. I could see that. I could see that too. Uh, it's going to be uh, Rosita, I think. Out of the, out of the Sasha. Oh, God. It might be but Sasha. Sasha's in the damn building. Like, she oh, is. Oh, that doesn't mean anything. But how can. Come on, the plot will set her free. Oh, I hope not, though. Like, how do you survive? I know Daryl was able to run around those hallways and... Oh, but remember, the first time that happened, they let him so they yeah. could catch him outside. And then the second time, he had help. So... Well, you remember what happened to John McClane in the Nakatomi Plaza? You know, he was on the inside. He got out okay. Yeah, but he's you know, John Sasha McClane, might... man. Sasha's well, no John McClane. He is John McClane. McClane. That is true. But Sasha is pretty cool. Yeah, she's pretty cool. I think it's Sasha. I think Sasha's gone. I think now that Dwight is helping Rosita, <laughs> that Rosita has that safety net there. Or, or Daryl. Dwight. Or uh, Daryl. Okay. She's got help either way. Yeah. And I think that I think that Sasha's on her own. She's in enemy territory and she's going down. But, you know, who knows? We will see. Yeah, it's it's a tough call. It's a tough call between Sasha and Rosita. Uh, I think, yeah, well, yeah, for the same reasons that you think Sasha's going to die uh, that you've mentioned in previous episodes, uh, I think it's probably Sasha. Yeah, that's right. External to the plot and the story and the characters. Yeah, you're this right. This is outside, outside baseball. Is that a thing? Uh, no, it's it, Sasha's on another show, and we assume that she's not going to continue doing both shows. So yeah, the show's going to suck, but it's on another show. Right, it's on another show. Right, 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 right. Um, the only thing, the only doubt I would have is I feel like I've got it all so figured out in my mind. It just feels too obvious, and I hope the show doesn't go with like the super obvious route that they're setting up one thing, and then they're going to pull the rug out from under us, and it'll be something else. What if the person with the crossbow is one of the scavengers? What if it's uh. Uh, what if it's Jadis? Maybe she has a crossbow. It could be. Actually, it could be Jadis. Also has long, weird hair, so. Yeah. Oh, crap. Now you got me thinking it's Jadis. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Jadis would go out there. Maybe uh, one of Jadis's hench people. Cronies. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know, Jason. You just threw a big old <laughs> doubt bomb at me there, so yeah. we'll have to wait until next week. Okay. Uh, another call here. Chris in Michigan. Hey, Chris and Jason. This is Chris from Michigan again. I just wanted to say, holy crap, did you see the obvious oversight by the crew leaving the scope cover on when Sasha and Rosita were looking through the scope uh, at Egan's <laughs> compound? You know, even if the scope cover is clear, it still would distort the uh, accuracy and the quality through the scope. Rosita, maybe, but Sasha, being the trained shooter that she is, it's just not believable. It, it just was something that bugged me every time they showed it, uh, and it was still there. So I just a uh, little disappointed in that. But other than that, I thought it was a, a good episode. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks, Chris. So scope cover, Jason. Yep. Yet another problem with that whole scene. The loud <laughs> rifle, the sticking it out the window, the sniper's nest being too close, them putting down the rifle and not watching constantly. Like, what's the matter with them? And now having the damn uh, lid on the scope or whatever he called it, scope cover. <laughs> the lid on the scope, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, it's 
it, we're the 30 whole... feet away from a compound of trained killers that have a vast arsenal and many, many zombies. And uh, well, let's just sit here and I'll teach you how to tie some knots. What do you, what do you say? Start a fire, you know, light some candles, get some shut eye. <laughs> Taking a little nap for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah. The whole thing didn't work. They're awful. Well, thank you, Chris, for sending that in. I didn't notice the scope cover. I wouldn't have noticed it because, you know, I don't know anything about scopes. But if it was there, that is kind of stupid. Bedell on the internet writes, This was a holy crapless episode. I tried and tried to think of something, but all I've got is Jesus might be gay? <laughs> he might be. Yeah, he might be, <laughs> I guess. I guess this episode did not uh, really ring that well for Bedell. Chris in Toronto writes, this episode answered a lot of questions you raised in previous podcasts. It's like they're listening. Rosita's bomb disposal skills, Maggie and Daryl regarding Glenn, the other doctor they were referring to. So we got, that's a good point. We did get all those things that I thought were up in the air and annoying me kind of resolved. There you go. So that's a Chris, good thing. this is your favorite episode. <laughs> Me or the the Chris in Toronto who wrote in? Everybody's. All Chris's favorite episode. All of them. Yes, all of us. Uh, um, Next is Dan in Durant, Iowa. Dan writes, holy crap, did you see how boring that episode was? The only interesting thing that happened in the entire episode was Eugene fully committing to Negan. The end, with Sasha locking Rosita out, was the absolute worst. Clearly, it's just a way to get Sasha killed off and on to her new show. So Dan's on uh, board with me there. Yep, Dan's on Team Chris. He is. The only thing about Dan's uh, e uh, email here is that, you know, Eugene fully committing to Negan. I felt like we kind of already knew that, but... You did, I didn't. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But I just think Eugene's just going to do what he's going to do where he thinks it's safe, safest. So there you go. Yeah. Adam in Texas writes, holy crap, the saviors take exception to the word veggies. That does it. They are officially jerks, in my opinion. <laughs> All yeah. kidding aside, this was not so much a holy crap episode, but more of a who gives a shit episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Adam. Holy for that. whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sally on the internet writes, holy crap, we finally got to see Daryl and Maggie have the anticipated, it's all my fault, no, it's not your fault conversation. As much as it is needed, I guess, it feels like filler to get us to the big finale. And I don't agree with that. I wanted more of the Daryl and um, uh, Maggie, Maggie interaction. Yeah, thank you. I wanted more of it. I Maybe the way it was presented here, it felt like filler because they just sort of glossed over it, in my opinion. But I wanted more. If they'd given us more, maybe it would have felt better. It would have felt more uh, cathartic and just like these two characters have known each other for years and been through all this together, you know, had this conversation and uh, are back, back on friendship page. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah. Whereas they just kind of glossed over it in the basement. So I don't know. Uh, Noop J on the internet writes, holy Eugene, I mean crap. Eugene is just a big piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> if he survives this, what are they going to do with him? I'm guessing he will just be reintegrated into one of the communities, but I wonder if he will suffer for being a collaborator. That's a good question. If Eugene survives all of this and he's like... You know, um, 
yeah, sure, I was Negan for a while, but I'm not anymore. Like, are they just going to take him back? Do uh, they do they have to take him back? I don't know. It's uh, I'm 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 worried about Eugene's life. I think that he's kind of skirting two worlds right now. He's sort of, he's Negan. He says he's Negan, but is he really Negan? It's probably Negan, but, you know, is he going to get killed by Negan? Maybe, because Negan's pretty crazy. So it, I don't know what's going on with, with Eugene. I, it's, I'm having a hard time being able to predict what's going to happen there. It's like you, that time you were t- dating two girls, right? And you had to, like, go across the bar and try to deal with each of them? That's what Eugene's doing. He, it's going to blow up in his face eventually. We just get everybody together at the same table, and then everything's fine. That's <laughs> right. the secret. Okay. Well, you learned that. I'm not so sure that's going to work out with Negan and Rick, for example. Oh, yeah. And the other lesson I learned is don't do that. Exactly, because it ends yeah. badly for everybody <laughs> usually. So well, They never found out about each other. Um, like, not once, ever. I got away with it clean. Okay. Well, if you yeah got, got away with it is the key there, I think. Uh, <laughs> I think it's too late for Eugene, though. They they already, like, people already know he's working both sides here or, yeah. you know, dating both sides. So you're right. I don't know what's going to happen with Eugene, but I don't have a great feeling about him either. And that's a bummer because I really like that character. Brandon in Las Vegas writes, this episode was filled with the opposites of Sasha's and Rosita's personality, um, with the scene where they both simultaneously kill a walker, did you notice how they did it differently? Sasha kept her distance and was efficient. Only one strike took down her walker. While Rosita charged in, got close, missed her first hit, and had to strike again to get her kill shot. Those walker kills may have been foreshadowing of their own tactics for taking down Negan. And it was pretty good. This is a really, really astute observation by Brandon, I think, because I went back and I watched it and he's right. Sasha stays a little bit farther from the zombie and kills it with one hit. Whereas Rosita gets right up to it, basically grabs it, stabs once, doesn't do anything and has to stab again. So she was a little more aggressive, but her tactic wasn't as, um, wasn't as lethal. Whereas Sasha held back a little bit and put herself in less danger, but took out the zombie with one hit. Yep. I think it was, that it was really cool. And I think Brandon is actually onto something that they were trying to, trying to tell the audience. I I agree. I agree with Brandon. That's great. I missed that. Thank you for writing in. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see it the first time either. Like I just saw them simultaneously kill those walkers and thought, oh, look, they're just kind of having a conversation as they walk, they kill a walker. It's no big deal, but there was more to that scene then met the eye. So very, very cool. Miles in San Francisco writes, holy crap, look at the custom exhaust pipes on that savior's truck. Why make an important person like your new doctor breathe in all those fumes? I feel like it's something Jason would consider. They're fake. (laughs) I didn't think they were real exhaust pipes. I thought they were just up there for show. Well, they were spewing exhaust though. Oh, well, there's that, and then, the, I guess. And the doctor was sitting right in it, breathing it all in. I mean, that doesn't seem good for anybody, but keep your doctor healthy. Well, but, I don't think I'd put, uh, you know, if I personally had a truck, I don't think I'd put uh, exhaust pipes that high. I'd put a snorkel up there so that the uh, the engine could breathe, uh, because exhaust, uh, you know, as long as you have pressure in there, it'll keep the, uh, the water and dirt out of the exhaust system, so you could drive up to the height of the snorkel. So, uh, 
you know, I'd, I'd put, I'd put a snorkel on a, on a car rather than a couple of tall exhaust pipes. Okay. Sure. Why not? Well, at the very least, if you're going to put exhaust pipes, stick your doctor in the cab, but you already said that, right? Give him a yeah, seat. Yeah. Give the too. guy a seat for crying out loud. <laughs> there you go. Finally, Victor in Go, oh boy, Goania, Brazil. Goania? Goania, Brazil, maybe? Sorry about that, Victor. Uh, Victor writes, holy crap, I'll miss Simon when he dies. What a great actor. Oh, he's not, yeah. Don't, oh, yeah, he's got to die. Damn it. Are you bummed about that? I am. I'm a little bummed about it, yeah. Like, what else is going to happen? You know, they're going to have a big fight with the saviors. All the prominent saviors we know are either going to be killed or, I don't know, flee or tortured or something like that. But they're not going to survive the, and stay on the show. Like, Simon can't all of a sudden join the hilltop. No, <laughs> it, he can't. It's not going to work. So I'm bummed and it will be crappy to see Stephen Ogg go. But you know what? This show has opened my eyes to the genius that is Stephen Ogg. And I will yeah. follow his career from here on. Yep, he'll be on Westworld, he'll be on other stuff. I'm sure, you know, give the man his own show. Oh, Make yeah. Make it a good show. Make it a Western. Why not? <sighs> Anything. Just give that dude a show. <laughs> he can do it. He can do it. Yeah. And I really hope to meet him at Walker Stalker Con one day. Yeah, me too. Get a picture. All right, thank you so much to everyone who wrote in your holy craps. And that is going to wrap up the podcast for this Monday night. If you'd like to get in touch with us for our feedback show coming up later this week, you can do that by sending email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. You can also visit the website talkingdeadpodcast.com and click on send voicemail to record a voicemail message for us, which is great because we always like to hear people's voices on the show. You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. Thank you so much to Gato Negro for sponsoring this podcast for the uh, second half of season seven. Remember to enter the contest at watchsipwatch.com for your chance to go to Atlanta and have an all-inclusive zombie experience and a chance to watch a uh, screening of the season seven finale. So once again, that's watchsipwatch.com to enter that contest and do it quick because they're uh, accepting entries, I think, until the 24th of March, which is coming up very soon. All right, that is going to do it. Uh, thanks, everybody. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>